Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep before, uh, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and he began with this scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way, rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You guys may be seated. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? I want to recognize that today is Veterans Day and pray for our veterans in our nation. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for those who are among us that served. God, we recognize that they gave much. God, we ask also for your work to bring transformation to our nation. Um, Father God, uh, we also lift up our veterans that might be suffering with PTSD. God, even in the city, as we walk around Lake Eola, seeing many that are homeless, Lord, we ask that you would help them and that you would even use our church, God, to help them. Holy Spirit, we're asking for your presence here today. Would you move among us? God, would your presence so saturate our hearts that we cannot do anything else but say yes to you. In Jesus' name, the church says together, amen. All right, well, any UCF fans in the house? Cross Point, any UCF fans? Woohoo! All right. Yes, we've got a few. We've got a few UCF fans in the house. So um, if you know the storyline of UCF, you know, in 2015, they were 0 and 12, 0 and 12. In 2016, they went from 0 and 12 to 6 and 7 under the new leadership of Scott Frost, great football coach, Scott Frost. And then the next year, they went from 6-7 and seven to 13-0, and 0, winning the Peach Bowl, which also we have self-proclaimed ourselves as the national championships, right? 
No, no arguing that point. Haters going to hate, 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 but the players are going to play, 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 right? Okay. Taylor Swift you all the way. Um, can I get an amen, Ryan? Amen. Amen. Okay. So he went from leading this school and, and you know, there was something interesting happened and we all knew it was going to take place is like this coach is on the radar for every national program that are getting ready to fire their coach or have fired their coach and are looking for a coach to take their team. He's young. He's got energy. He's got passion. He's strategic. He can get people to play for him and to win. I mean, the powerful football coach Scott Frost was so uh, as you know, he went from UCF uh, to where this year he's in Nebraska. So let's look at Scott Frost here in Nebraska where he's at. So there's Scott Frost. Actually, they just had a few wins. Um, but, you know, what would make someone want to go from a, a winning record in a school in the beautiful sunny state of Florida with no income tax to going to Nebraska? Scott Frost, he was the, he, he was the national champion as a Cornhusker, as a quarterback. And so for him, it was always a dream to be able to go back and to coach the team that he felt like he ultimately belonged to. And so Scott Frost, he, he said this as he took the job in Nebraska. He said, I've been fortunate to be at a wonderful school the last two years, but Nebraska has a special place is a special place with a storied tradition and a fan base which is second to none. I am truly humbled to be here. The state of Nebraska and the Husker program mean a great deal to me. This is home. And so who could blame him? This is where his heart was. Home is where your heart is. And so for Scott Frost, he was available most to where his heart belonged. And this is true of us today is that we are most available to what our heart belongs to. And I want to connect this to the story that's taken place in the book of Acts is Philip belongs to the Holy Spirit. He belongs to the Holy Spirit. He's not a mercenary agent. He's not a hired hand. He is not a gospel minister that's being paid to the highest bidder. He is completely and fully available to the Holy Spirit. And, and so there, there's a little bit of correlation here because Philip went from serving the widows in Jerusalem after persecution took place in Jerusalem uh, and, and, and Stephen was martyred. Many of them felt like they had to go. And so out of the salt shaker, the Christians went and they were scattered and they went into Samaria. And Samaria was a formerly unreached place for Christianity, but there were also bitter enemies against the Jews because the Samaritans were kind of the half-breeds. They were the Jews that married into Gentiles and they didn't really have a place with the Jews or the Gentiles or even within Judaism, the religion. So they created their own kind of sense of Judaism. But in, Philip is out of the salt, skater, salt, salt shaker, giving the salt of the earth into Samaria. And he is preaching the gospel. He's performing miracles. And people, it says in Acts chapter 8, started paying attention to him. They were paying more attention to Philip, in fact, than they were to the famous Simon the magician or Simon the sorcerer. Even Simon the sorcerer paid attention to Philip. And so in a little bit of time, Philip started filling the football stadiums. I mean, he started doing miracle after miracle. And every time he did a miracle, he preached the good news 
of Jesus and the gospel. And it says in chapter eight that people believed and they were baptized. And so you got to think at this point, Philip was feeling pretty good about himself. He probably felt like the good old ball coach saying, I think I'm just going to stay right here. I'm going to stay right here. This feels good. Ministry is good. You're filling up the stadiums. People are coming to know Christ. They're being baptized. You're going to bed exhausted, but you still can't wait till tomorrow because you're going to do it again. And you're excited about that. That was Philip in that time. Who would want to leave? Who would want to leave? But yet an angel of the Lord appears to Philip and says, Philip, go, go. And where was he called to go? He's called to go to a desert road on the way from Jerusalem or Samaria down to Ethiopia. And he is going to speak to one single solitary eunuch, the message and hope of Jesus Christ. I don't know if a lot of you people are saying, sign me up for that one. Sign me up to go from filling football stadiums of Billy Graham proportion, you know, crusades to going to the single solitary individual that is going back to eunuch or the eunuch that was going back to Ethiopia. And so that's exactly what we see here taking place in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. There's three things I want us to focus on today as we unpack this passage. I want us to ask the question, are you available to the Holy Spirit? Are you available to the Holy Spirit? And as we unpack the the question, are you available to the Holy Spirit? I want to think of three words to help us understand, are we available for the Holy Spirit to use us? Number one is obedient. Obedient. Number two is equipped. And number three is ready. Say those three with me. Number one, obedient. Number two, equipped. Number three is ready. Ready. Are you obedient to the Holy Spirit? The first thing that happened is is an angel of the Lord came to Philip and told Philip to leave Samaria and go down to this road towards in Gaza towards Ethiopia. And Philip rose and went. He rose and went. He got up and he went. No second guessing. No asking questions. No, come on, man. I was supposed to have dinner with somebody tomorrow. Serious Holy Spirit, you're going to totally make me miss my dinner and my crusade that's planned for tomorrow. You see, it wasn't about Philip. It was about God's will. Philip was sold out to the will of God even more than he was himself. I don't know about you, but I feel this constant tension in life as to what I can be available to. On one hand, I feel like I have to be available to everything and everyone all the time. Anybody else felt that tension before? You kind of feel lost in your availability because you're so busy giving yourself to everybody else that you can't even find yourself. You don't even know left from right. You don't even know who you are anymore. There's a complete loss of identity because you've totally tried to make everybody happy and at the in, in the inside, you're falling apart and you're completely unhappy because you've bought into 
lie that if you make other people happy, you're going to be happy. And so that's one side of our availability where we give ourselves too much to everyone else that we don't feel like we have anything for ourselves. And then the other side is we just shut it all off. I'm not going to help anybody. I'm not going to be available to anybody. I'm just going to stick with my tribe. I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to be available to myself. The problem with that is when you're only available to yourself is that it's self-ish, right? It's a problem because you are completely self-absorbed. And at the end of the day, you're not helping anybody, including yourself. You're harming them and you're harming others. You're harming yourself and you're harming others. And this is the, the, the tension that we live within. You've probably felt both of those because you've been so busy helping other people that you just decided to shut off the valve and you kind of hunkered down. But still at the inside, there's this feeling of emptiness. I want to offer to you a better way. A better way is being available to the Holy Spirit of God. Being available to the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because your heart belongs to King Jesus. You don't get to make those decisions of availability for your life. When when Philip was in Samaria, he was there because the Holy Spirit brought him there. Through the persecution that caused him to go outward. And many others that were following after Christ in Jerusalem. But it was also the Holy Spirit that told him to go through an angel of the Lord. And what did Philip do? He rose and he went where God had called him to. And so the question of availability and obedience is the question of who does your heart belong to? Jesus says these words in John 14 verse 15. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, he doesn't say, keep my commandments, and then you'll love me. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That from our love for Christ comes our obedience to Christ. It's not the other way around. That's legalism. That's trying to earn something that cannot be earned. But obedience is what flows from a life that says, God, I love you and what you love, you cherish and what you cherish, you honor and what you honor, you give your life for. You obey the commands of the Lord's because you love the Lord, because you love the Lord. And so you walk in obedience. You live a life that seeks to be obedient to God, obedient to the scriptures, obedient to the spirit's conviction and urgings in your life. Life. First Corinthians six, verse 19 says, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Jesus is not calling you to do something that he hasn't done first. He is not calling you to do something that he hasn't done first. As a leader, Jesus has put his money where his mouth is and he has purchased you. And there is nothing that you will ever be able to do for God that God hasn't already done for you. And because of God's great mercy, our lives should be lived, as it says in Romans 12, 1, as an offering, as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, set apart for worship to him. That's obedience. And obedience is following the commands of God. It's following the conviction of of the Holy Spirit. And it's also living life that's not your own, but his. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip, what does it say? So Philip ran 
I like that. I like that verse. I mean, it's like the coach who says, there is no running. When I tell you to do something, you're going to do it. And Philip was like, put me in coach. And what did he do? He ran. Picture this. You're the eunuch in the chariot, your servant, or maybe even the eunuch is reading the scripture out loud. And this guy comes running to you. Like Philip is, is winded at this point. (laughs) Let me catch my breath for a minute. Okay, okay. And so the the eunuch is there in the chariot. And when he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, he asked, "Do, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading. Now, now this is a pretty magnificent story to begin with because it shows that Philip was not responsible for, for drawing this Ethiopian eunuch's heart to God, but he was in the right place and the right time to show him who this God was. Do you hear that? God was already at work to show this eunuch who he was. He was already doing the work. He had the scripture. He had the word from Isaiah 53. I mean, God just said it up and here is Philip and he goes over and he is able to ask the question do you understand what you're reading and the next part of this is that number one we're obedient number two we're equipped we're equipped by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the word of God It's a really important thing for the church today. And I think part of the reason why there's a spiritual flabbiness in the church is because we're not equipped by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the word of God. And it's not just that we don't read our Bibles. Some of us are really good at reading our Bibles and doing all the Bible studies. But man, we just sit latent. We just, we just, it's just like the guys who are always exercising in the gym and have no outlet for it, right? But we could be like that. We could continue to to continue to do the exercise but there's no outlet for it and so we're equipped what are we equipped for we're not the 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 word of god has a means to an end and it's that that we would be enter into and engage in worship but that worship would always would also lead to our proclamation that we would share the good news of jesus christ And as you see it in verse 31, verse 31, it says, and he said, how can I, unless someone guides me, how can I understand this passage unless someone guides me? I don't know if you realize it, but you're called to be a guide to others with the scriptures. You you, you know that, that God gives us the word and the word is a guide but do you know that God gives as a gift not only the word, but teachers that help us understand the word? Like, it's okay if you open the Bible and, and get, start scratching your head and get a little confused. I, I think, I, I think that, that's a normal thing. If you don't, then I think like you, you might be a narcissist because you think you have this whole thing figured out. It's okay that you go to teachers or that teachers that God gives are helping equip you for the word because God gave this eunuch the gift of the word, but he also gave him the gift of a teacher to help him understand and interpret the word because the eunuch's uh, question was powerful. How can I understand this unless someone guides me? And, and you might be thinking here today, I'm not like Philip. I, am, I, I don't have his resume. I don't have what he did. I mean, I can't fill up stadiums and talk to thousands and thousands of people. I, I can't get my five 
you know, family members to get in a room for me to do a Bible study, let alone 15,000. Well, Philip's resume was, if you read in Acts chapter 6, he was just full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, full of grace. He's a faithful man. That's how God is calling you to be. If you say, well, that can't be me, then I don't think you can be a Christian because that's supposed to be all of us. We are all supposed to be full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the spirit and walking in faithfulness. That's not just the resume of Philip. That's the resume of the Christian life. And it's the resume that is not dependent upon you to get there. Because listen, just like just like the eunuch needed teachers, Philip needed teachers. Just like Philip needs teachers, we need teachers. We need those to help us, to equip us, to grow us so that we can point people to Jesus Christ. In particular here, the point is through the scriptures. I want to ask you this. If, if you can lead someone to Christ with a Bible open, can you do that? And the point of me asking that question is not to beat you over the head and say, oh, you can't. Oh, my gosh, you're a horrible and terrible Christian. My point in asking you the question is to get you thinking, how can I? How can I? And who can help me? Because there are many here that God has gifted with the word of God that can teach you how to do that. There are many here that can teach you how to equip you and to equip others to lead people to Christ through the word of God. My son Camden uh, started basketball season this year. First time playing basketball pretty much uh, ever. Like not... I did not do a good job. I, you know, do I look like a basketball player? Let me ask you that question. Um, no, I don't. So, but if there was something he wanted to play, it was basketball. I think because it was in, in an indoor gymnasium uh, because it's so hot outside. And so, okay, I'm going to play basketball. So this year had a desire to play basketball. And, um, and so he's, uh, you can see the picture there. This is him in the game. His team has had two practices and they've already played three games. The, you know, I mean, they're, they have not practiced enough. They're not a very good team. <laughs> it's perfect team for him to be on. It's great. Now, I don't have any, I don't have any kind of romantic feelings about this. I don't think that my son Camden is going to be Steph Curry. I really don't. Maybe he will. Maybe he will. But, but am I, do I look like Steph Curry? I, I don't. So I'm not, I'm not so sure that he will. But one of the things I think about this team sport of basketball is that it's training not only for basketball, but for life. I think that you learn how to be a team player. I think you learn interpersonal skills. I think you can learn a healthy ambition from sports. I think you can learn how to empower yourself and better yourself. One of the things that Camden is doing almost every day is saying, Dad, take me to the gym. He realizes that he's not so good and it doesn't freak him out. He just wants to get better and better. And the good news is he's getting better and better. But it's not just the practices that help him, but also the game. He's learning some things that he hasn't learned in practice uh, that he's learning in the game. Like, like you know, uh, which, best, which goal to shoot from. Here we are. You know, this is, uh, this is the one he was supposed to shoot at. And so he went and ran that way with the ball. <laughs> and so he thought, this feels really good. And then Eduardo's over next to him. He says, hey, Camden, let me teach you something about that. There's a picture of Eduardo here with Camden. Uh, Eduardo was refing the game. And there was a little timeout. And there's Eduardo who's... Uh, uh, helps run our facility team that's teaching Camden a little bit of something. And, and, you know, Eduardo was necessary to teach Camden some things he didn't know. 
Just like the Holy Spirit uses teachers in our life to teach us some things that we don't know so that we can understand the word of God. God has blessed us by sending us teachers. When I prepare a sermon, there's probably 15 to 20 different communicators in different ways that I'm going to to help me understand the word of God. But ultimately, it is the word of God that teaches me. Ultimately, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so to be equipped is an important part of us navigating this life that is available first to the Holy Spirit. Are you equipped? Are you equipped? And I think the question that comes next for you and for me is if we're not equipped, how can we just ask for help? It's real simple. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be willing to ask for help. The question is not, are you able? But the question is, are you teachable? That's the question. Because if you're not able to ask for help, there's a good chance that you don't struggle with ability, but there's a good chance that you struggle with teachability. And what is that? That's pride. And that needs to be confronted by the gospel because the Holy Spirit is calling you to an availability to him for the good works, as it says in Ephesians, that he has called you to do. Works that he has, has, has given before the foundations of the world that you would walk in them. Romans ten fourteen says this. This is the importance of us being teachers. It's in the Bible here. Verse ten fourteen. How then can they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to hear without someone preaching? You know, God gives us a gift that invites us into his story. He he gives us the word and there is a sufficiency in the word that God gives. But one of the things that God wants for his word is that his word would take on skin And the skin is you and me, that we would be the living and breathing and active word of God ministered to a lost and broken world. That like Philip and the people who went in Samaria, we would be out of the salt shaker, bringing salt and light to the world around us so that the world could see and savor Jesus Christ. And that's the call that God has for us. Number three is, are you ready for the Holy Spirit to use you? Are you ready? You can be equipped all that you want. You can do the study time all that you want. You could have a routine. You could be disciplined. But are you ready? Are you ready? And here's the key to being ready. Keep trusting Jesus. Are you ready? Keep trusting Jesus. Because your readiness does not depend on your readiness. Your readiness depends upon the God who is able. Jesus says, you can do nothing apart from me. He says, you can do nothing apart from me. And I believe it. I've messed up many times where I've tried to do things my way apart from God. But when I am 
when I am trusting God, when I'm walking in God, when I'm believing in God, when I am filled with God's spirit, there is a confidence that God gives me not in myself, but in him. And it gives me a little swagger. It lets me walk with confidence that says it's not about me, but it's Christ and the Holy Spirit is going to do it. And the good news 2000 years later is, is that the Holy Spirit's work is still alive and well and advancing the gospel today. There is no denying that you are here because the Holy Spirit has continued to use this message of the gospel to bring salvation to generation after generation after generation. And his Holy Spirit will use our generation. And, 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 and I don't want to see you and me waste the opportunity by saying, I'm not teachable. I'm not willing. Because if you are ready Your readiness does not depend on your ability, but Christ's ability. And then Philip opened his mouth. Oh, he just opened his mouth. And what did he do? He proclaimed the good news. He declared that it is finished. He declared from the scriptures, from the word of God, Isaiah 53, the good news about Jesus. Ephesians 6.15 talks about the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. You know what he also says? As shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. If you have the gospel of peace, then you have the shoes that will take you to the places where you, where you will be able to proclaim the gospel of peace. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit is drawing people right now. He is doing it right now. People that are in your life, people that are in your family, people that are at your workplace, he is drawing people right now. Are you sensitive enough to hear the Spirit's leadings and callings to be ready and to follow after him? Verse 39, we see, Verse 38 and 39, I'm sorry. We see how there is a baptism that took place. It was the confession of the Ethiopians' faith in Christ. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. What prevents me from being baptized? He's ready. What what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says in verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop. This is the, the eunuchs talking here. He commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. One little note here is that if you read, your, if you have the ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible, verse 37 is not here. If you have the NIV, the first verse 37 is in there. And so it's an interesting deal that takes place there because Verse 37, if you read it in the NIV, talks about the Philips, uh, that talks about the eunuch's confession of faith in, in Jesus Christ. In, in, in here, you don't see any confession of faith in Jesus Christ. You just see the eunuch wanting to get baptized and Philip saying, let's do it, get into the water, let's go. Why is that not there? Well, I, I'll give you just a little tidbit. We're not going to spend too much time on this. 
but the reason it's not there is because if you read in the NIV, this is your homework. I meant to put the verse up on the screen uh, from the NIV. But if you read in the NIV, there is a confession of faith and a belief in his heart that he had followed Jesus Christ. The problem with that is over 2,000 years of textual criticism, it's caused a lot of people to say, that doesn't look like it's Luke's writing. That does not look like the way Luke would write it. Does not look like it should be there. It's not characteristic of it. And so they took it out. Doesn't mean that there was no confession. Doesn't mean that it wasn't there. In all likelihood, it probably was. Luke just told not to tell us about it. But what Luke did try to tell us was that the eunuch was baptized. And baptism itself and his desire to be baptized was a confession. That he believed in Jesus Christ, that Jesus washed away his sin, that his old life had come and gone and his new life was there. And that he belonged to Christ, that he had been baptized into Jesus and baptized into his church. And the first Gentile that was saved, this is beautiful, this is remarkable. The first Gentile that was saved was an unbelieving black African eunuch from Africa. That's God's mercy going forward. That's God's grace going forward. And history tells us that this eunuch Ethiopian was likely the first evangelist to go and bring the gospel into Africa. And we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And to all Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the gospel of God by the spirit of God is starting to catch like wildfire and it is going all around. And I want us to, to close on, on this thought. I've focused a lot of time on Philip and the eunuch, but I want to tell you about Jesus because that's really where the thrust of this passage lies. It's about Christ because both the scripture and the spirit point to Christ. And so does Philip. Both the scripture, the spirit, and the teacher points to Christ. How do you know if you're available to the Holy Spirit and you're being used by the Holy Spirit? Does your available availability lead to people hearing the good news of Christ? Is that happening in your life, because that's the work of the scripture, that's the work of the spirit, and that's our job as those who preach and proclaim the gospel is to tell people about Jesus. My son can play basketball all he wants, and he could be equipped in that way, but you know what's more important than that for him is that he would be equipped with the good news of Jesus to tell his generation so that the gospel goes forward well beyond me and his mom well beyond my life and that his children and his and my great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren and I'm praying unto 10 generations because in 10 generations that's going to be like 33,000 people it's going to be an an incredible amount of people that come from the good news of Jesus Christ because we see our family as as those who carry the good news of the gospel to their generations that's what I want to see Because it's all about Christ. In verse 34, the eunuch asks Philip this question. About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? This is an interesting deal because 
the Israelites, the Jews of their time, would have thought that this was maybe Isaiah talking about himself in all likelihood. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter. Isaiah had a tough ministry, very difficult ministry. God told him, you're going to go and tell people about me and no one's going to listen to you. That was the job of Isaiah the prophet. It was a tough job being a prophet. And most of the prophets were killed. Like a lamb before shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Is this about Isaiah or is this about someone else? And Philip told him the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a TV show or I don't even know if you can call it a TV show anymore. It's from Amazon Prime. It's, uh, uh, it's The Man in the High Castle. Anybody, Man in the High Castle, watch that? So um, the imagery is, is so vivid and so powerful. This is America post-Nazi Germany winning the war. Nazi Germany and Japan winning the war. America is divided into two parts. The, the eastern part of the United States is belonging to Nazi Germany. And if you are a part of the eastern United States, you're, you're either assimilated or annihilated. You're either in or you're out. You're dead or you're alive. And if you're alive, you belong to Nazi Germany. And then on the other side, you're with Japan and you're enslaved or you're annihilated. There, there, is, there is really no middle ground. And, and so you see in this divide here that, that what could have been if we wouldn't have won World War II... And it's actually quite compelling, the imagery here of, of our Statue of Liberty. That's absolutely horrific to think about. It's horrifying. And, and, and here's what the prophet Isaiah is telling the church, is telling Israel, is telling the people of God. This man must come. Or you will be dead in your sins. That's dark. That's horrifying. That's death. That's condemnation. That's sin and shame that has no outlet. And that's what the prophet Isaiah was saying. 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen says, And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Could you imagine your life if Christ would not have came to set you free from sins? This is how you know if you've been bought with a price. Because you realize how dark and crooked your own life would be and our world would be and how hopeless you would be if he hadn't came and died for you. So Isaiah was foretelling this is what was necessary to set people free. To set Israel free. Philip had the key to unlocking the Old Testament. And he used, he used the Old Testament to do so. And he pointed to Christ. N.T. Wright is an author. Scholar. Writes very vivid picture for us here. He says, Isaiah, you see, wasn't simply looking through a long-range prophetic telescope. Seeing Jesus a few hundred years away and describing him in cryptic poetry. Rather, he was meditating deeply on the fate of Israel in exile. 
and the promises and purposes of God which remain constant despite Israel's failure to be a light to the nations and even walk in the light herself. Gradually a picture took shape in his praying. The figure of a servant. One who could complete Israel's task. One who could come to where Israel was to do for Israel what the whole and for the whole world what neither could do for themselves. To bear his on his own body the shame and reproach of all the nations and all of God's people and to die under the weight of the world's wickedness. Isaiah was writing a kind of job description. This is what we want. A servant who will accomplish God's will and rescue Israel and the whole world. Not a whole lot of people going for that job. Not anybody can. Only one could. And only one did. And he laid down his life for his friends, it says. He laid down his life for you and for me. I want to close in this meditation of reading Isaiah 53. I don't want to think about what you do have because Christ came. And what he went through so that you can have it. Forgiveness free, final, and full, eternal life, eternal joy, because he suffered and died. For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no majesty that we should look at him. He had no form or beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Shalom. And with his wounds, we have been healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief. 
one who carries the cross is the one who sits on the throne. He's the one whom we're obedient to. He's the one whom we're equipped by. He's the one who we're ready to go for. And he gives us his spirit to carry us through. He gives us his spirit to call to mind salvation in Christ, both for ourselves and those whom we will tell. And I want you, church, to believe that message. And I want you, church, to go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your lordship and your leadership. Father, if you're doing a work in our hearts that we need to be available to right now, a work where we have to fall on our knees in prayer or maybe... God, seek you in repentance or find some space, God, to hear you. I pray you'd give it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cause us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cause us to be obedient to you right now. We would say yes to you and we would walk in you. In Jesus' name, we say together.